0: in your Bibles or in the bulletin provided there for you for the Old Testament lesson which I want to speak to you for these few minutes from this evening Isaiah 53 This past week I was I met a new friend, a man named John, who was from the UK. We hung out together a few times throughout the week. At the end of the week, the group that I was with knew that I was a pastor. And they said, John, you, you go ride with John the pastor. Maybe he'll convert you. And uh, we laughed about that. And I said, John, come on. Come get in the car with me. Let's take a ride together. When I had him locked in with nowhere to go, I said to him, John, what are your religious views? You've been in England your whole life. Do you think about religion? Are you spiritual? Or what do you think about the Christian faith in particular? He said, what is some very common objections that many would say. John said, I struggle, I struggle with the, whether to believe in God or not, whether to hold to the truths of Christianity, to accept them, because I don't know how a good God can allow such suffering in the world. Look at what's happening in Ukraine. Look at what has happened in Syria. It's a term we use called uh, theodicy. The idea that how do, we, how do we understand both a good and loving and powerful God and yet suffering? And he also said, the other thing that, that I don't quite understand or I'm not ready to buy into is this idea that Christianity, that Jesus Christ is the only way. Another very common objection. He said, you grew up here in the South. You were brought up Christian. What about the person who is In India and is brought up Hindu what about the good honest Muslim in the Middle East how can you say Jesus Christ is the only way I said John as he said those things I prayed Lord Holy Spirit I can't do this what do I say here and I said John those are wonderful questions we all wrestle with them I said, I think there are answers to those questions, maybe not answers that would satisfy you fully in this moment, but I said, what I do wanna say to you is this, if I were trying to convert you in this moment, I would say, I think you have to answer the question, is the Bible, is it really the very word of God? Has God revealed truth of who he is and who Jesus is in this word. Is it true? And secondly, if the Bible is true, did Jesus Christ really come as God in the flesh? Was he God in the flesh? Did he live a sinless life? And did he die on a cross and rise again from the dead? John, if those two things are true, answer those questions first, and I suspect you'll start to understand the other questions as well. I want to say to you this night that the answer is unequivocally yes. This Bible is true, and Jesus Christ was the Son of God who came in the flesh and lived and died in our place, suffered a cruel death on a cross, and he rose again from the dead. That is true. And 700 years approximately before Jesus walked on earth, Isaiah the prophet gave us these words here in your bulletin from Isaiah 53. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet said. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He, meaning Jesus, grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a dry ground. In other words, he didn't have a very hopeful beginning. There was not much to him. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem." That's the history. Here's the explanation. Here's what was going on in God's economy. Surely Jesus took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced, but for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. That's describing the passion of Christ. And then finally, here was the consequence. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of God. Thanks be to you, O God. Oh Holy Spirit, in these moments together, would you cause us to see the awful load that our Savior bore for us? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I borrowed that title, He Who Bore the Awful Load, from the hymn we just sang, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. I want you to know that what your Savior endured for you in his Passion Week, and especially on that cross, was an awful load. But upon the Savior was the awful load of everything you need for life now and eternity. And in eternity. You know, they say that an ant can carry 5,000 times its weight. It's really remarkable to think about What I want you to hear tonight is that Jesus Christ bore infinitely more than his weight. He bore the sin, the suffering, the shame, the brokenness of the entire cosmos on his shoulders. And he did it for you. This is what our text reminds us. Do you see here verses 4, verses 5, verses 6... Verses 11 11 and verse 12, all of those verses in our text talk about this idea that Jesus took up, he picked up the load of sin and death and guilt and shame and suffering and sorrow. He picked it up and he willingly put it on his back. And God the Father at the same time placed it on Jesus' back. These two things are happening simultaneously. Jesus went down to our load. He, verse four shows that particularly, those two words, he picked it up and he bore the load for us. Now, what did he bear? What was part of that load, the awful load that Jesus bore for us? I have these five things here for you that we will briefly look at. Our sin, Our separation from God, our shame, our sorrows, our suffering, all of it heaped upon the back of your Savior. And he did so willingly for his sheep because we were helpless and harassed. And he loves us. First of all, our sin. Two words are given in this text over and over for sin, transgressions and iniquity. Transgressions refers to this idea of our practice, of our idea of missing the mark, of crossing the line, of going outside the boundary. Jesus bore our sin. He bore our transgressions. And then iniquities has to do with that sinful nature that we have by birth, given to us in Adam, our fallen, broken nature. Jesus took our transgressions. Jesus took our iniquities. He put them all on his back and he dealt with them. And what I want you to hear this evening is he dealt with all of it. All of it. Jesus dealt with all of it. Every sin you've ever committed, sin of every, every sin of omission and commission, placed on Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, as 1 Peter says. And as John Newton says in that wonderful hymn, let us love and sing in wonder, justice smiles because Jesus took the sin upon himself. Justice smiles and asks no more. All of our sin placed on on Jesus. You know how the Bible describes this? You know how the Bible describes what Jesus did with your sin? Listen to these words. The Bible says this. I could take you through the whole text of the Bible. It says he throws it behind his back. He drowns it in the sea. He treads it underfoot. He blots it out. He forgets it. He removes it. He covers it. He takes it away. He cancels it. He washes it and he forgives it. Those are all descriptors of what Jesus Christ did when he took the load of your sin on him. And remember the Old Testament Levitical sacrificial system where the scapegoat, they placed it metaphorically, symbolically, the sins of the people in the scapegoat, and they rushed it out of town to remind them, all your sin has been dealt with and it has gone from you. It was all heaped on Jesus, brothers and sisters, and it is truly finished All your sin was part of that load. Secondly, the separation that we experienced from God, he bore the consequences that reunite us with God. We were once enemies, but because our text says that he was rejected, we are now accepted. Did you see what our text says? They hid their faces from him. The text tells us, that the chastisement that brought us peace, peace with God, when we were once enemies of God, was placed upon him. He was taken away, he was cut off so that we would never have to be again. As we mentioned earlier, the veil in the temple was torn in two, the veil separated us from a holy God. But from top to bottom, God ripped the veil open and he said, there's no more separation come fully in as children of God. And we will never, ever be separated from him again because Jesus was separated from him for us. And we died with him and we rose with him and we are united to him and we are in Christ now and nothing can separate us from his love. And you and I are not walking on eggshells before a holy God because he sees us as righteous in Jesus. And he sees us as he sees his own son. And we're no longer separated. We're sons and daughters of the king. And not even death itself can separate us. Thirdly, our shame was heaped upon Jesus as well. If you're wordle people, I hate to blow it for you, but you've had all day to do your wordle. Today's word was shame. I thought, how appropriate. Good Friday. The wordle of today is shame, all heaped upon Jesus, our shame. Why do I say that? Because it says that through his sacrifice, many were accounted righteous, verse 11, Meaning, meaning we're now justified. Before God, through the vicarious atonement, the sacrificial death of Jesus, we have been made righteous before God, and now we are sons and daughters of the King. We are royalty. There's no more shame. I'm a child of the King. I don't have to shrink back in fear anymore. Jesus has made me justified. You know, guilt is I did something bad. Shame is, I am bad. Guilt says, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Shame says, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. You know, don't you? That there's no more guilt because Jesus bore your sin and there's no more shame because you are a child of God now. You're never meant to feel shame again. They hid their faces from him He doesn't hide his face from you. He was despised and rejected. You are beloved and accepted. There's no shame in that. The perfect love of God casts out all shame. And as Jesus was being stripped naked in his shame, humiliated in his shame, you were being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Oh, what dignity and honor is yours And his atonement silenced the voice of the shamer, the devil, the accuser, the liar, who says to you, you are not enough, you are not good enough, you are not worthy. Who do you think you are? That voice that haunts you, Jesus silenced that voice. He took away our shame. You're an adopted child of God. You're a prince and princess of the king, and you are perfect in his sight. There's no more shame. I love the song we sang today from Aaron Keyes, one of my favorites. You're not guilty anymore. You're not filthy anymore. I love you, mercy is yours. You're not broken anymore, you're not captive anymore. I love you, mercy is yours. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. You're spotless, you're holy, you're faultless, you're whole, you're righteous, you're blameless, you're pardoned, you're mine. I almost jumped out of my skin today when I heard that. Oh, I feel the shame. Maybe you do too. That secret sin that you have confessed, but you would die if people knew what you did. That past that, you're, that just is stuck in your mind and you can't get it out of your mind. That one decision that haunts you if only I could go back and not do that again. That past lifestyle that has been forgiven by Jesus and yet you hold on to it because the devil, the shamer and the accuser, makes you hold on to it. Oh, believe the gospel today. No more shame. And no more sorrows. He bore the awful load of sadness and sorrow. Jesus understands all our sorrows. He's a man acquainted with suffering, acquainted with grief. He's the man of sorrows. He understands all the things that make us feel sorrow. Brokenness and rejection and pain and abuse and denial and disappointment. He understands it all. He felt it. He experienced it. And all the things that cause us sorrow, he dealt with on the cross. And Jesus was on the cross carrying our sorrow. And he said to his disciples in John 16, you don't understand what I'm doing, but soon, soon your sorrow is going to be turned into joy, which is the testimony of the Christian that in spite of our sorrow, we now have a deep and abiding joy because Jesus bore the awful load of all the things that bring us sorrow. uh, Fourthly, suffering, or whatever that one that is. Last one, suffering. Brothers and sisters, in his death, Jesus Christ took all the sufferings on the world that were caused by sin and were caused by the fall of, and he dealt a death blow to them, meaning that we're not going to suffer forever. And all the pain and suffering that we feel and experience in this life, Jesus bore it upon himself, all of it, meaning there's an end to it. The day's coming where we will suffer no more. Jesus took upon himself all the things that cause abuse and divorce and war and betrayal and addiction and loneliness and earthquakes and tsunamis and rejection and even sickness itself. When he suffered the flogging, when he suffered those five wounds, he was taking all the suffering of the world upon himself so that once and for all, in the new heavens and new earth, we will be in a place where there will be no more suffering. No more grief, no more sadness. Oh, the awful load that he bore for us. I had a friend who's going through some awful suffering in their family, and he texted me not long ago when I told him I was praying for him. He said, John, we are learning to find that contentment and joy exist beside brokenness and sadness. God has been faithful to teach us that. So even in the midst of a world that is still broken, we live in joy because we know that our Savior Jesus bore the awful load for us. That's just part of what I can explain to you tonight, that Jesus bore for you in that awful load. But I wanna end with these two thoughts. One is I wanna read that middle section again to you, and I want you to listen to the pronouns because the beauty and richness of the gospel is found in the pronouns in this text. Look at the middle paragraph on page nine, Uh, top paragraph on page nine. Listen to the pronouns, rejoice in the gospel before we make our way to the table. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. the iniquity of us all. And then I take you to the very first paragraph and I leave you with this. Look at it again. Two questions as we close. Do you believe? Do you believe this? The text starts with, who has believed this message? And has the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit been revealed to your heart? Do you believe? And has the truth been revealed to you to remove the scales from your eyes and believe how much God the Father loves you in Jesus Christ and how great the awful load was? The veil is still torn wide open and there's still time for you to enter in. Some of you for the first time tonight, (laughs) the rest of us come in again, see the Father's love for you. Let's prepare for the Lord's Supper as we sing this hymn of preparation when I survey the wondrous cross. The words are in your bulletin.